So if you consider yourself a child and would like to come up, you can come to these front two benches and we'll have a short children's meeting to start. Um, by putting all that stuff in it. 
And it could have been something good and something that would have been yummy to eat, but it's not going to be yummy anymore because I ruined it because I wasn't willing to follow the instructions. So in Proverbs 3, it talks about keeping the instructions of your parents. Let me see if I can find that here. Proverbs, actually, chapter 4 says, Hear ye children the instruction of the Father, and attend to no understanding. And then Proverbs 6, verse 20 says, My son, keep thy father's commandments, and forsake not the law of thy mother. You know, if we follow instructions, our life is going to be much easier, and we're going to be a lot better off. And then we can eat yummy cake, too, if we follow the instructions on the box, rather than just throwing a bunch of stuff together. And, you know, some cooks are good enough to get by with, you know, a little this, a little of that. But in life, we make much harder decisions. And if we make decisions based on the Word of God, we know that they're going to be the best decisions. And they're going to really work out well for us in the end. Okay, thank you for your time. You can go back to your parents. Well, greetings to each one in Jesus' name. It's good to be with you this morning. The title of today's message is, If the Foundations Be Destroyed. Now, there has been an, I would say, consistent attack orchestrated by the devil himself against faithful leaders, a constant undermining of God's word and the authority he has given to men to lead out in the home, in, in the church. And this isn't something new, and this has been going on in the world for a long time, but it's coming, it's encroaching on the church more and more and more, and I have the same concern as was shared in the Sunday school class, and that is, I've, the brother shared that he's, he has seen middle-aged parents throw everything away. They get to a point in life, and then they just give up for some reason, and, and their children have went out into the world, and they follow their children out into the world as well. And how is this happening? And I think this is happening when the foundation has been eroded and then eventually crumbles and, and the foundation is ripped out from under the parents, the children, everywhere. It's, it's a slow corroding of the foundation itself. There, people have questioned authority and undermined authority for a lot of times, and authority has been abused. And, and people always take, when talking about the authority, they take the extreme and they make it the norm. So if, if you think about it, they'll say an example of this would be, well, what happens to a man when you give him authority? Well, take a look at what Hitler did, right? That's an extreme. Hitler was an extreme example of what a man with uncontrolled authority and sway will do. And, and then they, they associate that with all authority. But that's not what godly authority would do. That's not what a man that is sold out for God and his family would do. And if you look at America and you see the generation it's producing, much of what we see is a result of a lack of fathers in the home. Now, when you teach um, at boys' club, there's some of you here that are teaching at boys' club, and you see the little boys and you see how they behave and how they react, that is not an example of a person that has a stable father at home that is teaching them, loving them, and guiding them truth. That's not the results. And, the, and what I see in America is not what I want to see in the church. I want to see families that are stable, that are, that are growing, that are built up. Psalm 11.3 says, If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? What is there to build on? What is there to stand upon? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3.9. First Corinthians 3, 9 to 17. For we are labors together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another build thereon. But let every man take heed how he build thereon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is 
Jesus Christ. Now, if a man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifested, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and that fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so by fire." Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So this morning I would like to take a look at godly leadership. In a world that one can't decipher between what is true and what is fake, us as Christians have been given a huge advantage, and we have been given the Word of God in print that we can hold in our hands in all of our houses, and we know that it's truth. And so when we question what is true and what is false, we can go to the Word of God and we can determine all the things that pertain to salvation are, are found in the Word of God. And so we've been given a huge advantage over the, the world. I'm not as concerned about the attacks I see from the world because that is something that I... I expect. I expect the world to attack Christianity. Jesus said the world will hate you because you are not of the world. So I expect that. But if ministers begin to undermine or take away from God's word and don't affirm it as truth, I am much greater concerned about that happening. And Paul warned in Acts that there will become there's going to become wolves in our midst that will come in and I think that comes from the outside but it says from within of your own selves will men rise up that will deceive people and draw others away well why would they do that I'm not I'm not sure of all the why a person would do this some people like to have followers some people like to have a following and and they like to have people in admi admiration of them but that's not what God has called us to to establish a foundation, we must establish one thing. What we are building on as Christians must be the Lord Jesus Christ. Because no other foundation will stand the test of time. If we, as men, are not building upon the Lord Jesus Christ, it will never last. Every other foundation beside the Lord Jesus Christ, it moves, it shifts, it's unstable. So when I see Christians who are moving and shifting and unstable, I say, well, what foundation have they built upon? What are they building their lives upon? If they're constantly being driven to and fro by every wind of doctrine, and they're going here, they're going there, they're searching, they're looking, they're, at, they're trying to find fulfillment, where have they built upon? It's not the Lord Jesus Christ. I wasn't sure where to start this morning, but I believe I'll start in the home. While at times it does not seem fair that parents are laying the foundation upon which the children are, built, are building, this is true. You as a parent are laying a foundation upon which your children will begin to build. Whether it's biblical, whether it's uh, serving yourself, whatever it is, your children are observing your life. Father and mother, they're observing your life. And they're, pattern, they're going to pattern a certain amount of their life after you. And there's been many parents that have laid a good, godly foundation for their child. And their child has went and they've thrown it all away. There's been parents that have not laid a good foundation, that have laid a, a very shaky foundation. And the child rose above the actions of their parents and began anew in Christ and laid a, a solid foundation for their family and broke the chain and broke the cycle and, and did what it took to lay a solid foundation for their family. And it's each of our responsibility. There's, there's young men that are coming on that are newly married. Wyatt's about to get married. And he's going he's gonna to establish a foundation and, and um, he's going to set goals and he's going to set things that his family will follow after. Young men, this is... This is this has eternal consequences of where our children will be in 10, 15, 20 years from now. What foundation are we laying? A man gave an example of someone standing on a street corner and handing out $100 bills in exchange for $1 bills. Do you think that's a, that's a good idea? 
$100 bills in exchange for $1 bills. If you did that very long, you would be uh, sent to a mental institute, right? Or people would be really happy with you. But that's what happens when we exchange heaven for the things of this world. We're exchanging something of much lesser value for eternal rewards and rest that it talks about in Hebrews. If you're a married man this morning, I want you to know that God has given you the responsibility to lead in the home. If you don't have any children, you have the responsibility to lead your wife. 1 Corinthians 9.5 says, Have we not the power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, as the brethren of the Lord and of Cephas? 1 Corinthians 11.3, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. If you turn over to 1 Corinthians 11, you'll also realize that in verse 7 to 12, this is a creation principle. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 7 to 12, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is in the image and glory of God, but the woman is in the glory of man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, for all things of but all things of God. The woman was created by God to be a helper for man, and man was created by God to lead, to provide, and to protect. And when we as men fail in our role, it goes, it's a ripple effect through the whole structure of what God has created. It makes the woman go out of her place, it makes our children go out of their place, and it, and it ruins the whole structure of what God has created. And the foundation becomes very shaky at best. And I will say this, I've seen godly women who have risen above the occasion and have stand, stood the test of time and remained faithful and reverent and respectful of their husband even though he wasn't doing the things that he was supposed to do. And she saved her children in spite of the man that was supposed to be leading the home. This is the rare exception rather than the norm though. I may also use the term God-given several times. To understand where authority comes from is essential for the man leading the home as well for, as for the ones that are being led. If it's God-given authority, that's, that's the highest authority. God, I think Brother Keith shared it here, that God is authority. That's where authority comes from. So if we understand that God gave someone an authority over my life, then I have the responsibility to respect that authority that God has placed in my life. I also say much of what I shared today, I have learned by failure rather than success. And, and I'm ashamed to admit that because learning by failure is the hardest way to learn. It's the cruelest way to learn. And you learn effectively, but you hurt a lot of people along the way. And, and you damage your life in a lot of ways that might never be the same. And so what I'm about to share with you this morning is stuff that I have learned much, much of the way through failure. And I don't want you as young men to have to deal with it and, and go through the same things. And I don't want your wives to have to go through the same things that my wife has had to deal with. And also, if you have lived your life and you started out as I started out, there is hope to change. Because I can attest to the mercy and grace of God in my life that he has changed me into the man that he wanted me to be and not the man that I was. That God's grace and mercy is sufficient for us and through repentance and forgiveness we can live above our sins and we can live a life of purity and honesty and holiness before God. Rather than learn through failure, if we could learn to learn through listening to what others say, by learning by watching godly examples, and actually taking, not just listening, but doing. There were so many things I listened to, and I knew better, but I did anyway. I'll find out. I'll see how it is. Our families need a lot more than financial support from their dad. As I look around at our churches, I, I think dads, for the most part, are doing a good job supporting their families financially. I, I know of a few cases where the, the dad's not supporting as he should, and, and that's a shame. But for the most part, we support our, our children financially. 
But I see dads who are struggling so much spiritually that they have nothing to offer the children. And the only spiritual uh, nourishment that the children are receiving is when they come to church Sunday morning, if they come at all. And that's not the way God would have it to be. For many years, I failed to lead out in family worship. And an unspiritual man is a very scary man to a godly woman. And so it should be. Because an ungodly man, an ungodly man that's following the lust of his flesh, that's following the desires of his heart, is not going to be able to stand against the snares of the devil, even if he's going to church on Sunday. There is so many temptations. There's so many fiery darts of the wicked one out there. There's, there's, there's so much wickedness that even the sincere Christians at times will stumble. What about the insincere man that's not trying to live above his baser passions? There's no way that he's going to stand. And that man will become enslaved by the devil. And he allows a, a, a stronghold, a foothold into his life. Ephesians, there's a couple verses there, Ephesians 25 to 27. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life. If you have sin in your life, confess that sin, repent of that sin, and forsake that sin. Because every time we have unconfessed sin in our life, we're allowing the devil to have a foothold in our life, and we're going to destroy our, our, our own self, but we might very well destroy those around us. The Bible asks the question, it says, can the blind lead the blind? The answer to that question is yes. The blind can lead the blind. It is physically possible for a blind man to grab you by the hand, and if you're blind also, to lead you. Now, will they lead you to a place without a walking stick and proper guidance to a place you want to go? No. It says both of them shall fall in the ditch together. But many people in a spiritual sense are a couple blind people trying to lead a couple other blind people, and it doesn't work well. Man, security of knowing that you are sold out for God. It's something that that gives a woman more security than knowing that you're going to protect her physically. If your wife knows that you're sold out for God, that you're passionate about serving Him, that you're passionate about purity, that you're passionate about that doing these things that are going the extra mile, not going down certain streets, not driving through the middle of college in 90-degree weather uh, when it's back in session. There's, there's different things that you might change the route you go if there's a big billboard, or you might change the way you look at the news or listen to the news for your wife. If your children ask you regularly, are we going to church on a Wednesday evening, you have th some things to change. That should not be a question our children ever ask us, unless we're laying at home all sick and coughing and wheezing and whatever all else. But our children shouldn't be asking us, are we going to church? Why are they asking us, are we going to church? Yes, we're going to church. Are the church doors open? Is there a church event happening? Is there a prayer meeting? Yes, we're going to church. Why would we not? Why is that even a question? What are we building upon? If our occupations are more important than showing up Wednesday night, if we have hay to make or a load to haul or whatever your occupation is and it takes precedence over church meeting and being in the fellowship of God and his people, then that has become our idol and it needs to be tore down. Turn with me to Hebrews 10. We're going through the book of Hebrews in Sunday school. Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25, says these words, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. There's no COVID keeping us from church, so what is our excuse? And it says, so much the more as we see the day approaching. If you don't look around you and you don't see the day approaching, then you're not looking very hard. I see the day approaching. We've just went through a whole month of gay pride where they, the, the world um, revels in sin and lust and debauchery and things that God hates. And, and we have a U.S. government that's promoting these things. The end is drawing near. There, God will eventually come to an end. He says, 
They've become too wicked, and I will destroy them. I wanted to give a little advice to young men and young ladies. You don't suddenly become more spiritual when you get married. Uh, that might be shocking to some. Having a child or two does make you think a little differently about life. It, it sobers you up just a little bit. You can't go to all the fun things you once went to. You, it makes it a little harder to take a canoe trip with your wife. Um, different stuff like this. But you'll be this, you're going to be a relatively the same person you were before you got married. You'll have the same temptations. You'll have the same weaknesses. And yeah, you're the same person. It's, it's coming to the wedding altar doesn't suddenly transform a person into a wonderful, caring, loving, spiritual being. You're the same person you were the day before. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 2.19. Timothy 2.19-26. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one of them name the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, mercy, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preventure will give them repentance to acknowledge them the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Now, I won't go into all that, but in a, you do not want to be in a situation where the devil can take you captive at his will. The thing I wanted to focus on there is flee youthful lusts. As... There is youthful lust. You've, you've probably had them. Uh, if you're a man and you're honest with yourself, you've had youthful lust. You must flee them. As, as, as a married man, you're about to lead about a family. Uh, and you're about to establish rules within your home. Well, if you have no rules in your dating relationship, and I know this from experience, I, I came into dating with a very sincere heart, wanting to be pure and upright before God. And it was very hard to do, even with high standards. So I wonder what happens to young couples that go into a dating relationship with no standards whatsoever. And, and men, you are responsible in that relationship to set the standards. Don't make your wife-to-be set the standards for your relationship. Don't make her say, well, you know, I don't want to be all huggy, touchy-feely for the first couple months. You know, don't, make, don't put her in that situation. Keep your bride to be pure. Many a young girl has been hurt thinking they'll change the man they're about to marry after they're married. It's hard to do. It's really hard to do. And we can help each other grow. That is true. But don't count on changing a man. It can happen, but don't count on it. If you're not, if you're not worried about these things, then I don't think you're re uh, ready for a serious relationship. If you're not worried about keeping yourself pure, your spouse could very well make the difference of where you'll spend eternity. And that should concern you. Your spouse, together, You'll make decisions that will decide where you two will spend eternity, and also your children. I'm concerned for my children when I leave this earth, and I want to give them a foundation that they can build on that's solid enough that I've given them every opportunity that I as a father can give them so that they can build on a firm foundation, and the rest is up to the Lord. Because I don't make decisions for my children, but they'll... I, now I do. They obey me, <laughs> or else there's consequences. But they'll get to the age of accountability, and they'll have to make their own choice whether they're going to serve God. And they're going to go through teenage years. And teenage years are this really funny time where all of a sudden dad doesn't know as much as he used to know. There's a very short time where dad's pretty cool and, and knows a lot of stuff. But it doesn't take long where dad doesn't know what he's talking about. 
If you're simply looking at a guy who is athletic, good-looking, and drives a nice truck, uh, that's not going to keep you happy very long, especially when you're sitting at home, rocking the baby, and he's out playing softball. <laughs> he's less attractive at that point, um, and his truck doesn't matter. It's even less attractive if you find out he's been into pornography this whole time and, and never told you. Young man, you have a responsibility to be pure before marriage and after marriage. We have a responsibility as leaders in the home to protect our family. Do you know what your children are doing on the home computer? Is your home computer open? Is your home computer available when you're in town shopping and doesn't have any blockers on it? I know of young, many of young men who has fallen into pornography on their family's home computer. It wasn't on their cell phone. It wasn't at the drugstore or the gas station. I don't even know if they sell that stuff at the gas station anymore. But it was at the home computer. And the parents were none the wiser. And I'm all for accountability versus policing. But I'm not opposed to policing our young children to be able to keep them pure and to keep them from things that we would rather not have them deal with the rest of their lives. We've allowed internet as a tool for business and it has become a monster that we don't know how to control. And why I say this is because I work with young men, middle-aged men, and older men all the time who have failed in the area of internet purity. I work with it all the time. And, and I don't think it's a rare thing that I'm just having to find all these people. I think it's much more rampant than we can ever acknowledge. I've talked to other young parents, and they're concerned about the future of their children. And I'll tell you why. Parents, are we in this fight together? That's a question I have. Are we in this fight together? Because what happens is I, I send my child to school with a flip phone, and some other parent sends their child to school with a smartphone that's completely unlocked and the child can do anything they want and they show my child some garbage. Then what? I've done my part, but can I trust to send them to a Christian day school? Can I trust to send them there and that they'll be able to maintain their purity um, at the schools that we're sending them to? And then I know that there's peer pressure because I hear it from young men and they say, Dave, uh, what if I get Spotify? What, do you think there's anything wrong with Spotify? I said, yeah, for a young man, I don't think you need Spotify. And what about Instagram? I said, yeah, for a young man, even an older man, I'm, I'm against Instagram altogether, for those of you who are wondering. But, and they, they go for all these apps, and they said, what about this app? Well, young men that have been honest with me will tell me, I have been out of this stuff for a while now. I, I do use WhatsApp, um, but I'm not even condoning WhatsApp. If your parent says you shouldn't have WhatsApp, you shouldn't have WhatsApp. But Young men have been honest with me, and they say that on Instagram, they're getting what are called porn bots, and they're sending them to these young men, and if you click on them, it takes you to a site off of Instagram where they're being fed all sorts of rot. There's also Snapchat, and Snapchat, many people say, well, it's just a harmless app where I can keep up with my friends, and they can see where I'm at, and we take pictures of ourselves, and we try to keep the snap going or whatever. I don't even know how it all works, but it's, it's popular among youth. But I, I asked a young man, I said, can I see your Snapchat? And he said, sure. And, and when I scrolled over to the right or left, there was all sorts of short video clips and quite immodest right off the start. And it's all there. And, and dads don't even know about this. They don't even care. We need to wake up. We need to know what our children are doing. Are we as parents helping our children build conviction. Because I, I believe that's the only way they'll stand the test of time. You can make all the rules you want for them, but they're going to ex be exposed to the, the real world eventually. They're going to be exposed to this stuff, and they're going to have to have enough conviction in their life to be able to say, no, I don't want to see that. I don't want to go there. This isn't something I desire just because my dad says I can't have it. We need children and young men who are men that have actual conviction, and they're not basing this on, well, it's not in the rules and discipline, so I must be able to do it. That is not what I see as the future of the church. I was recently at a community barbecue, 
And I was very saddened by the attire of the young girls there. And they were community girls. And I couldn't believe that their dad let them out of the house dressed as they were attired that evening. Not only were they endangering their girls, but they were just setting them up for all sorts of failure. First Timothy 2.8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, in shamefacedness and sobriety, not broidered hair or gold or pearls, pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Just because the skin is not showing does not make something modest. And our young ladies know this. And some young ladies try to attract young men by dressing in provocative ways, even in Mennonite circles. The tight of the dress, their slinky material, there's all these things that don't do that. If you're a godly young woman, the man, the man that you want to attract is not going to be attracted to slinky, immodest dress. I'll just, I'll just put it that way. If, if that's the man you're attracting, you're in for a lot of trouble. Fathers, you have a responsibility to know how your daughters are going out of the house. And I don't think this has to be a battle. I, don't, I think you can set ground rules and you can say, hey, where are you going? You're not wearing that to the youth thing tonight. Uh, that's your farm painting dress where no one sees you. Or so, you, know, you, you as a father, maybe tell them to burn it. Uh, you as a father set and allow what your, your children go out the door with. And the things that I've seen children being able to go out the door with has, has shocked me. Purity, if lost, is not something you simply get back. You might think, well, I can ask for forgiveness. Sure. And I can be forgiven. Sure. But when you eat a forbidden fruit before marriage, it is something that you will never get back after marriage. It is true. I've heard oh, many, many men, and I shouldn't say many men. I've heard of men who are, who are saddened, and they said, I ruined my marriage before I ever got to marriage. And can marriage still be good? It can be. But you, if you eat of the forbidden before marriage, you have ruined something special that in marriage will be wonderful, good, and proper. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Man, isn't it a double standard to expect our wives to be modest and then to look at all the immodesty around us? Why would we ask our wives to be modest when we're out lusting after women who are not dressed modestly? Why don't we just tell our wife, well, why don't you dress immodestly so I can enjoy you? No. Us as men need to be pure. We need to, keep, we need to guard our eyes and keep them for our wife. I've personally fought this battle in my own life, and God has given me victory in this battle, but it, it's not easy. It's ongoing. I didn't used to do. I don't go to the Internet to watch the news because the news has a way of throwing out provocative stuff. I don't need that. I don't need to give the devil opportunity. He takes enough of them all by himself. Why would I give the devil opportunity? And give no place to the devil. Men, I'll be honest with you, we've done a poor job in leading out in the area of nonconformity. And I'll be the first to admit this, I have as well. I was at the, I was working at the store and a man came in and he said, are you a Mennonite? And I assured him that I was. And he said, well, why does your wife wear the cape dress and the head covering and you're here in an Aeropostale button-up wearing a big designer logo down your shirt? And I didn't know what to tell him. I didn't have a good answer. I was actually pretty ashamed to be wearing that shirt at that time. Uh, there was a time I thought it was a pretty cool shirt. But I was, I was ashamed at that moment. I didn't know what to tell him. And I will tell you, that shirt has since become a shop rag. But we as men, and myself, have not done a very good job in leading out in the way of nonconformity. And we say, well, our women wear the head covering and the cape dress, 
And us as men wear the plain suit. Mm-hmm. When? <laughs> Corey, way to go. But it's, it's, it's everywhere. We have air-conditioned churches. Okay? Air-conditioned churches. The latest in AC technology. We can wear a suit to support our young ladies on a Sunday morning. But we as men, we often follow the fashions of the time. Can we lead out in this area? The young men that dress respectfully at youth groups are often looked down as goody-goody. I don't know whether to bring this up or not, but I've, I've, I've looked around, and I've, I can see effects. Not the cause, but I can see effects. So if, if you look at a lake, and you see the waves, and you see the white caps, that's an effect of something. You know something's going on. It's probably windy, right? That's the cause of it. Well, as I looked around, I thought, Maybe white shirts have become hard to buy because I've seen every color of the rainbow except white in, in all our churches. Uh, young, men, young men, older men, middle-aged men, every color of the rainbow. There is great diversity in color of shirts. And so I, just, I did a quick search, and I just wanted, I'm going to tell my church this too, you can go on to webstrant.com, and if you buy six shirts for $11.18 apiece, you can get a nice white button-up shirt with a nice, uh, it has a pocket. Some of my new shirts I bought didn't have pockets. That's a great disservice to a good shirt. Um, but you can get white shirts, and, and if you're really stingy and, you, and you, you get them dirty a lot or whatever, or if you're not stingy, for $500 a year, you can wear a, a new white shirt every Sunday and simply throw them away. That's a, that's a pretty good deal. So webstrant.com. Does a white shirt make you holier? No. But I don't think that the diversity I see is making us any more unified as a body of Christ. I actually see it as we talked about reverence in Sunday school. And I, I see this thing of casual worship. And it's creeping in. And I, I look ahead at a church that has already embraced this. And I see where casual worship leads to. And if us as men aren't going to lead out, our women aren't going to follow, and our women are going to get tired of dressing in a way that stands out when us as men aren't willing to. Titus 1.6 says some things. If you want to turn there, Titus 1.6-9. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the stewards of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, nor striker, nor given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able to be by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So the same verse is used for bishop ordinations. It's used for minister ordinations. Verse 6 says, having faithful children. I wanted to switch over to church leaders, which is a very hard thing to talk about. But I wanted to uh, switch over to church leaders for a little bit. Unfortunately, parenting is a lot like shepherding. And I already told you this. There's a short stage where daddy's pretty cool. And then there's a lot of a stage where there's a challenging of authority of daddy's rule. 1 Corinthians 4.14, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Do you know what it means to be a shepherd? Do you, know, do you, do you understand the sheep-shepherd concept? The sheep-shepherd concept is, is the shepherd leads and the sheep follow. Is that the way it works in our churches? Does, does Philip lead and you follow his example? and his guidance and his instruction through the Word of God. He, he teaches, he expounds the Word of God, you listen to it, and then you follow what you've heard. In a sheep-shepherd relationship, that's generally the way it works. I've preached things that have been a burden on my heart, and I was later told 
I couldn't talk about these things because they weren't in our rules and disciplines, and they were simply an opinion that I had. Uh, at the same time, I was also told that we don't need rules and disciplines for everything that we follow. Right? We don't need a rule for everything that we follow. Well, if we don't need a rule for everything that we follow, then we need to be able to take examples that people are leaving us and, and go and follow that example that God has given us. The rules and disciplines that our forefathers have established is more of a guardrail than an end goal. And rules and disciplines. Don't set that as my marker. Well, the rules and disciplines don't say it, then I don't have to do it. No, if someone warns you, if someone exhorts you and says, you know, here's some things I see. I see drift. I recognize it. And they point out specific areas. Then, then think about it and watch it. And, and it doesn't matter if it's the rules or disciplines. Figure out how to do it. In our churches over the last five years, uh, I don't know who came up with this. It was before I became a minister. But the ministers sat separately in our congregations. And... Um, I didn't know why they did it at first. I was just told, now that I'm a minister, I need to set separate from my wife. And I resisted that for a little bit because I like sitting beside my wife. I love my wife, and she's fun to sit beside. And, and so, you know, the, it didn't hold a, my argument didn't hold a lot of grain, but I said, okay, I'll sit separate, and I did it begrudgingly. And I did it for the last four or five years. And, and then I was told that I was supposed to be preaching on segregated seating. And I'm like, we don't even practice segregated seating. Why am I preaching on segregated seating? And the idea was that a minister would set an example, and then eventually the people would follow. I'm like, oh, well, th that's what we're after. I, I didn't know that. You know? And so I kept hearing things about double standards, and why is the minister doing this, and we're all doing that. And, and here what was the goal of it all was that um, there was supposed to be some following of an example instead of making a rule that all our churches are going to get segregated seating. Who would want that? Well, my wife and I sat separately for the last five years, and no one followed our example. Um, actually, more people probably sat mixed than before. Uh, and, and here's the great reason. The community people feel so welcome when they come in the back door because we're not all sitting on one side or the other. Well, let's do that with divorce and remarriage. Let's do that with a bunch of other things. And we can make community. I could fill the church of McDowell plumb up if I'd allowed divorce and remarriage in the church. Right? But I'm not promoting segregated seating. Uh, I see some benefits in it. But I was just giving you one example of it was never, uh, for a long time, I didn't even know why we were doing it. Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for their, your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for this is unprofitable for you. Pray for us that we, for we trust we have a good conscience, and all things willing to live honestly. Your ministers are one day going to give an account for their leading, and for what they have said, and I don't think they'll have to give an account for how well they've been followed. Um, and the reason I say that, because I'm going to skip some of my notes, but in, in Ecclesiastes, it talks about the watchman. And it says, if the watchman doesn't cry out when the enemy's at the gates, and if he is silent, and he doesn't sound the alarm, that the blood of the people will be on his hands. But if he sounds the alarm, and he warns the people, and he said, the enemy's at our door. The enemy's coming. Here's the enemy. And he points it out and he warns his people. The Bible says that the blood will not be upon his hand. I, I did want to mention this, and it's an, an important thing. Although us as men have been given authority by God, we are also men under authority. And the centurion recognized this in a very real way, in, in, a, in a way that a lot of men men don't recognize. Even though God has given men authority, we are still under authority. We're under the lordship of Christ. And if we want to lead about a wife in, in a way that's pleasing to God, we need to love our wife. And we need to lead as Christ would lead in a way that in loving and care. But sometimes that love and care requires discipline. I've never met a person yet that has just been real fond of church discipline. But I've met several men who have accepted church discipline and grown through it and said thank you afterwards. And, and that is not an attest to the church discipline. That is a testament to the man that was under discipline, who went through it, who is willing to surrender himself and to endure the humiliation and whatever it was and come out a better man on the other side. And 
if a brother comes to you and has enough love and concern to, it doesn't have to be one of your ministers, but another brother in the church comes to you and says, I see some areas in your life. And, and the first reaction, my first reaction is, I see all the flaws in my brother's life. Well, the reason being is those very flaws he's talking to you about may be in his life because we recognize our faults in other people a lot quicker than we recognize our faults in our own self. And so he may be talking to you about his very own fault. Do him a favor and listen. And then do him another favor and pray about it. God needs to change your life and, and to make you into a better leader. How many of you like the word accountability? As faithful leaders, we must be accountable. There's no reason not to be accountable. If I hear a leader that's not willing to be accountable, I, I fear what that leader's doing. As a leader, we must be willing to be accountable, humble, and submissive, and willing to take responsibility. And I'm going to tell you one story in closing. I, uh, I have some other things to say, but I'm going to tell you one story in closing. Many leaders do not like to take responsibility when things go horribly wrong. And maybe you've heard this story before. I've shared it at Bethany. But there was there were some hunters, and they were in Africa hunting. And there was a hunter and a guide. And, and they, were, they were walking through this whatever's there, the brush and stuff. And, and the hunter saw uh, a Cape buffalo. And he shot the Cape buffalo. And they, got, they went over there, and they took a picture together. And the guide said, look at this wonderful Cape buffalo that we shot. And a little while later, they were hunting the next day, and they saw a big elephant, and he shot the elephant, and it fell over, and the guide, and they took pictures, you know, my guide service, and, you know, if you want to come on a great safari with wonderful success, here's what we do, and look at the wonderful elephant that we shot. Well, the next night, it wasn't as successful. They were after lions, and, and right before dark, uh, the, the hunter shot into the brush when he saw it moving, and they went over there, and there lay a man. And, and the guide said, uh, look at this man that you've shot. And the hunter said, just wait a second. He said, when I shot the Cape Buffalo, you said we. And when I shot the elephant, you said we. And now that I've shot a man, you say me? Like, that, when things go horribly wrong, us as leaders, we don't want to take responsibility for it. That, that guide should have said, well, can you identify your target? Do you know what it is? Have you seen it? And, and it was somewhat the guide's responsibility that the hunter shot the man. So I say all that to say this. There are times when even godly leaders make mistakes. But it's one thing to make a mistake. But if we can humbly own up to our mistake and, and admit to our people that, yeah, I made a mistake. I was wrong. I'm sorry. That will go a long ways in showing our people that we really care about them. God bless you. I'll turn the time over.